Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, this is Chip Kinman, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast Network. History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Yes, indeed. Welcome back to another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We are pleased, as always, to be part of this vast and always expanding Pantheon Podcast Network. Lots of exciting stuff going on at the company these days. Um, we're available on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Megaphone, Amazon Music, 40-odd uh, um, podcast platforms. All right. Um, so this is episode 204. I'm calling it But For That One Song. Um, I was going to call it possibly asterisk songs. Um, that was actually a suggestion of William Walker actually, after we were sort of sharing ideas on this. Uh, but I didn't want to call it that because we recently did asterisk albums and I didn't want anybody to get the impression, oh, I've heard that one already because of the uh, similarity in the title. So I'm calling it But For That One Song. But yes, the, um, the sort of theme here, by the way, I want to thank... William Walker, uh, Mick Phelan, and Derek Tolmey. They all gave me some good ideas. Um, I've mixed my notes all over the place, so apologies if I'm citing something that somebody brought up or I'm quoting somebody, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a chaotic shambles of, uh, of moving things around. But suffice to say, all three of you gave me some nice suggestions with this uh, with this idea. So, so yeah, the idea is I like to do these... Um, I like to do these episodes that are a follow-up on another episode and looking at it sort of a different way. So, but for that one song, the idea here is that, you know, in, in that previous episode, we were talking about that one album that stands out and you always have to put like a star by it and, and say certain things about it. So on, on albums, when, when you're rating it sort of thing, right? So on albums, um, there are always always these problematic songs that you always have to point out and always kind of annoys you that you have to point it out. You don't know how to rate it. Is it part of the album? Is it not part of the album? What makes it stand apart? What distracts you? In most of these cases, it's a negative, but it's not always a negative. So yeah, the idea is, um, you know, and, and this morphed a little bit from... Um, you know, the original plan was possibly finding that one song that makes an album imperfect and why it makes it imperfect. But it's more turned into a little bit of this asterisk thing, right? This idea of these are songs that kind of, uh, you know, got got a little star by them uh, because you do have to point them out and you say, is it really a song? Is it not? You know, how blah, blah, blah. How does it fit? So it's, it's roughly in categories. And then at the end, we've got um, our usual... Um, you know, honorable mentions, but we've even got kind of honorable mention uh, categories here. So what got me thinking about this episode was um, I was talking with, uh, I think it was Mark, and I'm going to be going on Mark's show. Um, so we were talking about Ted Nugent um, and uh, and the idea of, 
uh, how that second to last Ted Nugent album was way too short and it had too much jokey stuff on it. And so Ted Nugent is one of these that has a lot of these asterisk sort of songs. And we're going to we're going to point it out as as we go along in what categories he, he falls into. But another one that really always bothered me was Led Zeppelin Coda, right? We were arguing on Facebook about Coda and... You know, it's an album of rarities, but then all of a sudden there's just a live version of I Can't Quit You Baby on that, which is on one of their albums before. And I don't like the fact that there's Bonzo's Mantra on there too, which is an instrumental drum solo sort of thing. So to me, that one's got two of these asterisk songs that just mess up the concept a little bit, right? So that's kind of the idea. That's actually one of the more shining examples of messing up the concept. I don't have a lot like that. So it, it's kind of interesting that this episode is almost almost like there's a lot of categories that I couldn't really fill in and it would be neat to see on the Facebook if people can point out uh, some of some of the ways these things fill in but uh, yeah and um, and something William that you you had pointed out was that and it's kind of interesting is that it's it's often not just one song but it's a few and it's and it points to like um, a, a dearth of material um, you know, you think of the Van, uh, Van Vancouver Van Halen situation with the interstitials. You know, the little uh, the, the little pieces. I don't know if I pronounce that right, but you know, the the little instrumental pieces of music uh, that you get in there. We're going to be talking about that as a category as well. But uh, yeah, kind of interesting that um, you know. I guess what we want is we don't want any of these but for that one songs on these albums where there's this this thing that distracts you. We want we want all perfection. We want all, you know, you wrote all the songs, you played on all the songs and that's another category coming up that uh, be a bit of a funny one, but um okay, so let's let's kick off with our first one here and um yeah, take a listen to this. This is the Beatles with Revolution 9. Funny, this is uh, this is a whole other category uh, that I could possibly do a show on. You know, these uh, these songs that you're not sure quite how how to how to say the song title, right? Um, so I had to look that one up. You know, everybody thinks of number nine, number nine, as as it goes in that quote. But so so this is one of those um, really early ones again you know what what have we learned on this show the Beatles started everything right everything started with the Beatles they always were the first to do this sort of stuff now maybe you could point out some uh, some previous ones but so this is one you know on the White Album where it made you it distracted you in a big way it made you think all right so they're officially out of material even though it's a double album it's like this is really annoying so this is a song that really got a lot of people talking song um it's it's basically a sound collage a noise collage piece of performance art maybe you might want to call it it creeped people out because it is kind of scary um and it really annoyed people and it really got people talking but um so it, it it's definitely a song that stands out on this album you know they have other asterisk type reasons uh for things here too you've got some guests you've got you know the various vocalists so so there's that kind of thing going on as well but yeah so this is um this is just a prime, uh, you know, original uh, early example of something like this. And the one I immediately thought of right after this is L.A. Blues on the Stooges Funhouse, right? Um, 
that certainly well you know even we will fall on the first stooges is a little bit of an asterisk song here here i am using this this term i should go back to but for that one song um but yeah so so that one's got this long creepy thing on it and then and then funhouse has la blues which is just a, another big like free jazz you know John Coltrane or Nick Coleman, whatever, uh, sort of, uh, you know, fusiony, noisy, Captain Beefheart sort of just pile of noise. So L.A. Blues is like a pile of noise the same way Revolution 9 is sort of like a pile of noise. And um, and one of you guys actually pointed out Bugs, right? Uh, bugs from Vitalogy. Um, and yes, it, it absolutely fits that as well. It's like a gratuitous piece of, uh, what what is this? It's really one... Um, uh, it really is one of their best, a brilliant album. Eddie ruins it. It's not really Pearl Jam. It's one person's self-indulgence, indulgence, so it could be a great example of following in the footsteps of Revolution 9. Um, yeah, so the idea, and I went and played it all and against the other songs. So you've got regular songs, and then you've got this Bugs thing, which is just this bad acid trip sort of thing that's sitting there. Um, and it feels a little bit uh, uh, like that. I, I think Mick and Derek, you both pointed out uh, my world on... Um, Guns N' Roses Use Your Illusion 2 right at the end. It's also a little bit of a gratuitous Axl Rose. Granted, it's not very long, um, but it's it's just sort of like a... Um, it's it's him kind of rapping over kind of like an industrial, you know, backtrack of noise. Um, and so, yeah, it, it doesn't fit. It distracts. And then that's the other thing that happens with a lot of these songs that drives you crazy. They're trying to apologize to you a little bit for putting this messy little thing on here that now you, you don't know whether to call it a song or not. But they're trying to apologize to you by sticking it at the end of the album, right? So so they're like saying, well, it's part of the album. It's not really. In this case, it's not even that long. It's like... I'll, we'll leave it up to you if you think the album's over before this thing comes. So they're they're also admitting to you that it's not good enough to be in the middle of the album somewhere, right? Um, to to like bring it in with the gang, right? The big hug. Okay, this is one of the songs that's part of it. So so that that's always bothering of these kinds of songs as well. Um, and then of course the interesting thing is in the Spotify age. Uh, you can go on with a lot of old classic albums and you don't even know where they end because they don't really make it clear that where the bonus tracks start, right? Um, so that happens. So, you know, we've always had that old thing of the Japanese bonus tracks and whatnot, but now now you get all those bonus tracks on there and you don't know where these, these albums sort of end. So, uh, so there's your intro one. Let's take a listen to our, our second selection here. This is Deep Purple with Bloodsucker. All right, now that's Bloodsucker spelt B-L-U-D, sucker. So this is uh, this is Deep Purple redoing the original Bloodsucker from In Rock up into the great album Abandon, which is the second one with Steve Morse, uh, 1998, and it's uh, it's stuck on the end of uh, of Abandon. So the category here is when these bands re-record their old hits and just stick them on there. You know, Deep Purple is kind of guilty of this with uh, with sticking like a jam version of 
Hush from uh, Hook End or whatever. Um, on the end of their uh, their Nobody's Perfect live album, you know, to like, hey, we got to capture, you know, Richie's back in the band. So there's 88 and 87 material, and then all of a sudden they've got this jam thing on there, which is kind of annoying. Um, but uh, but yeah, and Deep Purple's got uh, a lot of these, um, but for that one song situations, you think, you know, I, I, I might even argue, get in trouble with this. Um, Child in Time is a distraction on in rock. I think of A200, so you go down the instrumental road, so that's kind of a, di- a distraction. Um, you know, a-, a category that we're going to call like an honorable mention category, but mistreated. So when bands do uh, the old wrote old blues on on an album, that you know, everybody's got to point that out, and it's like, ah, is it a real song? You know, is, is, a, is an old blues a real song on these classic rock albums? Because it's so based in tradition, it's so half written in the 50s and 40s and 30s you don't know what it is um so it's just there it's a space taker it's a it's a distraction from the rest of the modern material these bands are writing um so yeah so what oh yeah uh, william mentioned uh the likes of anyone's daughter on fireball you know is that a distraction is it is it in the category of joke tune so but for that one song Fireball definitely is a butt for that one song album for anyone's daughter because everybody who talks about that will will make, make some crack about anyone's daughter on there. It's kind of a jokey country tune on this, you know, serious, you know, modern heavy metal album. But, you know, more directly on this Deep Purple thing, you know, Ted Nugent uh, re-recording Journey to the Center of the Mind. Uh, I don't know. It's on Love Grenade or Crave Man, one of those. Um, but... You know, the other problem with Ted Nugent, I mean, it goes even further. I mean, Detroit Muscles got Star Spangled Banner. You know, that's not a re-recording, but he's got Backstrap Fever on uh, The Music Made Me Do It, which is just a kind of a redo, jokey redo. So it's got two things against it. It's a jokey redo of Cat Scratch Fever. Um, You know, he's got Sunrise and Sunrise Fender in brackets, Fender Bass 6 Solo. He's got Fred Bear Acoustic. That's a recording in an acoustic version. That's the other thing that drives me nuts with these. Uh, but for that one songs is when you've get an, got an acoustic version. Sometimes you've got an acoustic version that's a re-recording of the old song, like the Fred Bear here. And sometimes you will even get, of course, the, the rock version of a song on an album and the acoustic version on the same album. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but that's another uh, really annoying thing. So it, it's like, you know, it really makes you think about that idea of filler, right? Um you know, another one famously like this that always drove us nuts was uh, Doctor Doctor '95 and Lights Out '95 re-recorded versions of those songs that were stuck on Walk on Water. You know, we would have, you know, thinking of how promising and how good a lot of the material on Walk on Water was. This is the, the much vaunted reunion album with Michael Schenker. We would have liked to have heard more, uh, more originals. That's for sure on that. Um, you know, a little down this line, uh, it reminds me, you know, Deep Purple Infinite has Roadhouse Blues right at the end of Infinite. This great album of all this great songwriting with Steve Morris and all of a sudden Roadhouse Blues. You know, Roadhouse Blues is a really annoying but for that one song album uh, song because it, it's 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 kind of ruining Infinite, but it also kind of ruins uh, ETL Live by Blue Oyster Cult by having that thing on there. And then for that matter, I think of We Gotta Get Out of This Place and Kick Out the Jams uh, are, are kind of a big mar on Some Enchanted Evening. A lot of people are not big fans of that song enchanted evening album uh because of that especially we got to get out of out of this place um 
Diamond Head on Borrowed Time, you know, this this album with not very many songs, not great recorded. All of a sudden, they're recording two, re-recording two songs from Lightning to the Nations uh, on there. Pretty weird. Um, so that really compromised that. You almost felt like it was an overlap album, almost like a greatest hits, re-recorded hits album. Um, so that was always annoying. Um, pointed out here, um, apologies, I think this might have been... Um, William that mentioned this. Arthur Brown's recent Monster Ball, which has a re-recording of Fire on it, but it's far from being a perfect album at all. The best example I could find was a re-recording of uh, Please Don't Leave Me that John Sykes did for his 1997 solo album Loveland. Um, yeah, so there's that uh, category. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. All right, back again here on... History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff, episode 204. But for that one song, let's take a listen to uh, our next track and we shall discuss. This is Kiss with Then She Kissed Me.
Okay, so the category here, this is this is a major overlap with an earlier episode, way back actually. Wow, 131, that long ago, a du uh, dubious cover versions. Um, so the idea here is that, um, uh, so, you know, with a twist on it, the twist from that episode to this is the idea that this is really a distraction. We're not talking about, uh, you know, it's a little twist on the word dubious. It's, it's the idea that... Um, it really is a distraction. You think it wasn't a great idea. Um, and in this case, again, we're back to that idea of putting the song that we're kind of apologizing for by putting it at the end, right? Uh, so this is, a, this is a cover of The Crystals, uh, gender reversed, right? 1963 single, Then He Kissed Me. So this is Kiss doing a, a 60s kind of girl group cover thing. Um, but everybody kind of points this out. You know, Derek William... Uh, Mick, I think maybe even all three of you pointed this one out when I when I you know asked for examples kind of thing, right? Um, but so yeah, so this is something that everybody complains about when they talk about the Love Gun album, right? Um, you know, and other ones like this that I've always that that always drove me crazy. The Cult Electric is such a perfect album, but it's got the Born to Be Wild cover, and for that matter, Riot and Rita. Um, Derek Tomey mentioned, um, you know, it it was a big deal for them. It did well, but Cars, the cover of Cars, Gary Newman uh, on Fear Factory, obsolete. Um, you know, and I mentioned definitely before. Um, the, the cover of uh, Highway Star on the Metal Church album sticks out like a sore thumb and is a distraction, and uh, that album would have been much better without it. I mean, not to mention that it's not a very good cover. Um, these boots, uh, these boots are made for walking on Killing Is My Business. Um, Mick Phelan also mentions, um, let's see, Nuclear Assault. Yeah, Led Zeppelin's Good Time, Bad Times. Um, so out of place, they stuck it on the end of Handle with Care, Desperate Stab Beginning, Mainstream Listeners, Megadeth, the Kings of This, They Do Not Need to Cover I Ain't Superstitious and Anarchy in the UK. Absolutely. Um, you know, I feel like these novelty covers, they feel out of place. They feel like they have a purpose, a corporate purpose. They feel like they have a single purpose. Uh, they feel like they're attention getters. And another thing, again, uh, when you do a cover, it does make you think that um, you're stupid. You don't have enough of your own material, right? You, you're you're not smart enough to have enough of your own songs. You don't have anything to say, so you'll uh, you'll you'll cede territory to let somebody else say it for you. Um, so yeah, you know, Rocky Mountain Way. Um, these I think were also pointed out by William. Rocky Mountain Way. Oh man, I hate that song. Period. But I hate it on Rock and Roll Machine by Triumph for sure as well. Um, and also this falls into that category of of the uh, the dumb automatic sleepwalking blues song, right? Um, so it's. Uh, it's this idea of these bands saying, "Oh, I, we want to remind you of our roots in uh, in you know the British blues boom or whatever." Um, and so you get these songs. I mean, I even feel ACDC, the Jack, is a little bit like that, but they gussy it up by making it a funny song. But uh, you know, Night Prowler, Prowler, Crowler, whatever on uh, high, Highway to Hell, same sort of thing, right? Um, uh, is like that as well, where. Um, yeah, and, and ACDC's got a few others. A lot of bands do. Uh, a lot of bands do this, but this this idea of um of just just like putting that on there and then again you're you're going, okay, well you you couldn't write a proper better song. This took no writing at all because most of it's borrowed anyway. So yeah, that's always really annoying. Um 
you know, along this line, Train kept a rolling on Get Your Wings, you know, even though it's a big song and it and it fits in and it's heavy and all that kind of stuff. Not for 1974. Um, it's a little annoying. Um, Shapes of Things on Victims of the Future, Gary Moore. Since You've Been Gone on Down to Earth. So everybody always has to point that out when, when you're talking about that album. Praying Mantis covering the kinks on Time Tells No Lies. Um, you know, uh, we, we talked about the rock and roll medleys on the live albums. You know, and I even think a but for that one song, a standout song that everybody has to mention that is distracting is even getting uh, a new original, Suspender Love, on Tokyo Tapes. Um but yeah, the the heap has the has the rock and roll thing. Yeah, extraterrestrial live has a little rock and roll. You know, something else that uh, another one of these that stands out thing is when Aerosmith kind of kind of broke up the the sustained uh, you know um, the sustainability the energy of uh, of live bootleg by putting on that super old live stuff that was always annoying to me. Um, Girl school doing Tush on uh, on hit and run. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we could go on and on about covers. Um, you know, we do have more or less a whole episode on that, so let's move on. Let's move on to our fourth selection. Take a listen to this. This is Queen with Under Pressure. All right, so kind of kind of a messy category here. I wanted to get more examples of this, but um, but I I, I do find uh, uh, something interesting about Under Pressure. So so this is the distraction of having a big guest star on your album, um, and then Hot Space, of course, is such a compromised album with this you know daring sort of dancey you know Mac Munich. Uh, music land munich sort of sound um that that all the whole rest of the album pales in comparison you've got the standalone song that is a single and you've got this distracting big star in david bowie on it uh, and it's an amazing song it's like by far and away the greatest song so so it just it just blindingly outshines everything else on hot space and it really doesn't feel like it's part of the album and again the the main reason it doesn't feel like it's part of the album is you've got this big you know one person uh distraction in david bowie and it's like okay did queen need help to make this album good um did they need a superstar outside of the four guys so you're always thinking that with this guest star situation so um you know, I think of uh, when Alice Cooper guest stars on people's albums. Uh, he, he's on that Twisted Sister thing, right? That Be Cruel to Your School thing, called, you know, Recalling Schools Out. Um, so so that is a distracting song on that album. Um, you've got Chris Cornell showing up on an Alice Cooper album. You've got Brian Johnson on a Jackal album. I love that album, though. Cut the Crap is such a great album. That's a great song they do, too. What is it? Locked and Loaded, I think it's called. Um, but, uh, but you've got... Um, yeah, so so a couple other ones here. This is a quote. I think this might have been Mick might have said this. Yes, great ideas. Uh, as, um, recent years especially, didn't they? Instead of standalone singles, for example, Radiohead's OK Computer uh, may be the most important album of the 90s period, you guys say, uh, from any genre. Yet they tacked on Lucky, a great song. It appeared on a charity compilation in 95. So yeah, this is the separation sort of thing. And two years later, it's on the album. So that always felt cheap to me. Um, I suppose Mob Rules and Queens Under... Yeah, so Mob Rules... So so again, uh, this this um, 
there there's a sort of subtle idea of a distraction of a narrative right so you've got you've got the song mob rules on mob rules and you know its connection with heavy metal and then you've got over in the other black and blue side of thing you got uh, fire of unknown origin and you know two or three or four of those songs were put forward to go on the heavy metal soundtrack so you feel like there's this distracting uh, element um of why these songs are there so that's kind of the thing um you know here's another interesting one that's uh doesn't quite line up but it it's um it causes these songs to be separated out uh, i think it was bill schuster when we were talking about blue oyster cult the symbol remains one time um i think it's it's you bill apologies if if not um but the idea of uh, didn't want to go and listen to the uh, advanced singles as they were coming out and everybody was talking about them because he wanted to to not have those songs stand out as distractions or but for that one song or you know something special about these or different or were they released on their own kind of right um, so I thought that was an interesting idea didn't didn't want the didn't want to sully the experience of the album by hearing uh, you know box in my head and whatever the other one's called I, I at a time uh and then and then have them discussed to death and listened to to death so when you got the album you were bored of those songs already and they had another narrative so that's interesting um you know i felt that happened with clockwork angels as well with a bu to be or whatever it is and the and the other one um uh, so yeah, it had two advanced singles that everybody talked about a lot uh, ahead of time and even it goes back to you know stick it out you know, I I think I either did a whole show on advanced singles or I I'm I've been planning to for ages, um, but yeah, that's a funny thing where that song always feels like okay, I'm already sick of it, and so it stands apart from the rest of the album. So the album is diminished to me by a song or song or two. Um, we just went through this with Metallica's seventy two seasons as well. Weren't there four? I think there were four advanced songs uh, from that one. Um, but back to this idea of the big guest stars. You've got Tony Iommi on the Megadeth album. You've got female vocals on Megadeth albums. You've got Kate Bush on uh, "Don't Give Up," which which separates it out. Um, you know, uh, "Run for Cover," Gary Moore. Um, you've got Gladys there, but it but still, it makes these songs feel like Gary couldn't do it on his own a little bit. But you've got Phil Lynott on a uh, "Military Man" and "Out in the Fields." Um, you've got Glenn Hughes sings, I think, three songs on there. Going back in time, you've got the distraction of John Anderson being on Prince Rupert Awakes on King Crimson Lizard. You've got Ebony and Ivory, uh, Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder on 1982's Tug of War, plus uh, what What's That You're Doing. So uh, again, you know, uh, the, the single of that overshadowed everything and the fact that it's a duet. As soon as you got a duet, you got the messiness is like, what is the band? Who is the band? You know, sometimes these singles come out and there's Paul McCartney, Ampersand, you know so there's an there's it's it's now a duo situation so do you believe it's part of the album or not do you talk about it as part of the album so that happens i i think of uh monkey time uh the tubes uh you know uh, with uh with martha davis i i didn't know this so I, I when i was doing doing research for this i guess there's the martha davis version of of monkey time and then there's also the one with michelle gray uh one of the tubes principal dancers right so um i gotta go listen to that but uh, but apparently there's two different versions of that but again the whole duet situation makes that song kind of uh sit apart from the other ones all right let's move on to our fifth selection take a listen to this this is black sabbath with Orchid.
Okay, again, I love Orchid. I love Embryo. I even love Solitude. But um, it just, it it kind of uh, causes me to be a little annoyed with like, do I call Master Reality the heaviest Black Sabbath album? It's, it's so heavy, but for these three things that are really super, super quiet. So that so that's a weird one, right? Um, but this also falls into the, um, you know, the debate about is an instrumental a real song on these albums? And then, is an instrumental a real song on these albums when it's just one guy playing it? So is it even a band? Um, so you've got the is it the band situation. Uh, there's no vocals and no singing and no ly- no lyrics, right? So is it is it you know compromised because of that? And then you get into the um, you know embryo is 28 seconds long. Orchid I think is a minute and a half. So um, you know, when, how short does a song have to be to not be called a song, right? And yet they're named songs, and we know that whole story with the, you know, publishing, and you gotta, gotta name a bunch of songs, um, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of funny, um, you know, and this came from the idea of, um, you know, it was suggested by one, one of you three guys, uh, you know, Black Sabbath Changes, and I didn't want to go down that road of just, like, the mellow song on these albums, but the interesting thing about Changes that makes me feel like it's one of those but but for that song, but for that one song, is the idea of when you have uh, alternate instrumentation that isn't uh, part of the band, uh, you know, regularly. So here you've got piano. Um, you know, it's it's mentioned, uh, I think William mentioned, the writer on Mechanics, maybe this was Mick, uh, an absolute bomb, but when you're thinking it's a good classic UFO song in heavy form, they throw in a bunch of horns, horns and that's how they open up the album. So, so yeah, it's annoying when you hear horns, when you hear classical, right? When you when classical goes onto a song, you go, okay, that's not the band. So is this really part of the album, kind of thing? Um, and this goes down the road of uh, of these, like I say, these short instrumentals. Um, you know, Black Sabbath has a bunch of them. You think of FX as well, um, Stonehenge. What else? There's one on Tear, I think. Um, but uh, Van Halen is notorious for doing this. You know, Van Halen has those asterisk songs with the joke songs. The short songs, the instrumentals—they have a, the covers. So, so they have almost every album has um, something that annoys you in that department. Eh, le- less so in the Sammy years, right? Um, uh, you know, mentioned as well was again. I didn't want to really go down this road, but but the folky tunes that Budgie throws in—you know—are those real songs? And again, you you can bring up the debate: Are they real songs when they get when they're really short, right? Especially they they tend to put these short songs up against these super long ones, right? Um, so that happens. Um, you know, in this category of these instrumentals that you wonder are they really songs? You know, Kiss love theme, right? Um, I think this is William mentioned these. Uh, in in trance has night lights, Black Sabbath tear. Yeah, there you go. Battle of tear, UFO obsession has Arbery Hill. Man of War's debut has Battle Hymns. Painkiller has Battle Hymns. Um, Gamma One has Solar Heat. Testament Souls of Black has Beginning of the End. Tigers of Pantang, The Cage, Title Tracks, Saxons Unleash the Beast has Gothic Dreams. Hawkwind Choose Your Masks. Um, so yeah, Rick Rick Emmett mentions yes, true. Rick Emmett throws in these little classical pieces just to show how great he can play classical guitar. Um, so are those real songs? Ravens thirty nine forty on Rock Until You Drop. Hell Stars, uh, Unido, Poor Tra- Tristeza on Remnants of, of the War. Candlemass, Spoken Word, Track Dawn, Guitar Solo. I'm Addicted on LA Guns, Cocked and Loaded, Stripers Abyss. Yeah, is, is Eruption a real song? Right. So we always have to say Eruption, the song. Oh, oh, is that a song? Uh, Stripe Stripers abyss on to hell with the devil 
so yeah, you got a lot of those, and uh, and again, um, you just you just wonder, you know, how how do they fit here? Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, so some honorable mention stuff. How long are we here? Uh, you know, we're pretty long. Let's let's leave this stuff uh, maybe maybe for a catch up. But I had some uh, some. Well, I'll, I'll just mention this is in a general sense, so we won't go through it. But some other categories that I wanted to fill that that bothered me. Um, uh, so, so these are really legitimate. I just couldn't find a lot of good examples, but live tracks appearing on studio albums, that, that always is annoying. Uh, even if it's a new song, but, but I always think of like the live intro to the, uh, Dio, the Kings of rock and roll or King of rock and roll that always annoyed me. And it always made that song stand aside for me. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to Dio, I think of, um, you know, I, I and as a mellow song, I think "Rainbow Eyes" you know doesn't fit on on "Long Live Rock and Roll." So you get those those not fitting things. Um, you know, uh, let's see. Uh, moving on to start off, just a game. Steve Vai's uh, "Real Illusions." This is, I guess, the live track situation. Reprises. Um, that's very annoying. Um, mentioned as well. You know, when you when you get a song, you know, uh, maybe in a an intro or a song or you get that reprise version of it at the end and it's always in messy little brackets it's always shorter um so that's annoying as well this was a neat category as well um couldn't find too many examples but when you're distracted by a song uh being on an album um but it was on a soundtrack album as well so you think of johnny be good judas priest you think of that fire of unknown origin mob rules situation we talked about i uh, mentioned as well kiss god gave rock and roll to you you know that really stands out like a sore thumb on revenge um because you you're thinking of this whole narrative about it right um Richie Kotzen performing Dream of a New Day on Fever Dreams. I don't know much about that one. And the Night Ranger thing, uh, doing Secrets, The Secret of My Success on Big Big Life. Um, yeah, I had a whole bunch of examples of this whole phoned-in, dumbed-down blues thing because I really feel every single time those guys, you know, bands do those, you know, we, we know Zeppelin's got them, Nazareth's got them, Deep Purple's got them, Gillen, if you, if you believe me, um, Deep Purple Lazy, I've always felt, uh, was literally like... Um, and you know, you know the clue is when you do an interview or you hear these guys talk about it and says, "Oh, it's a jam. Oh, we're gonna do a jam, you know, live or whatever." As soon as you hear that word "jam," it basically means we haven't written a song for this. We're just gonna fill the record with some space here. Um, yeah, I had various examples of joke tunes. I thought "Wango Tango," "Terminus Eldorado." Uh, you know, "Yellow Submarine" was brought up by you guys as a as a joke tune that doesn't quite fit on "Revolver." It it you know undermines uh, what you think of that. Um, so yeah, um, "Huda King" on uh, on "All Shook Up" kind of bothersome as well. I had another category of. Uh, don't let the guitar player sing. You know, when you when you get somebody in the band singing who's not supposed to be the singer, so that song always stands out like a sore thumb. You've got the the Joe Perry songs uh, when he's singing on on Aerosmith albums. You've got Nicky Wire, the Keith Richards ones. I like I like Keith Richards, but mentioned here is uh, Virgin Killer, near perfect album, but Uli sings Hellcat. Mick Jones singing Woman Oh Woman on Foreigner's debut. Robin Trower singing Crucifixion Lane on Procol Harum's A Salty Dog. Um, so yeah, that's that's. That's another whole category uh, of this thing as well. All right, that's enough of that. So uh, yeah, so the whole theme was these albums where you have to you have to talk extra, and it annoys you about these certain songs and these albums. You don't know whether they count, how much they count. They they screw up the rating. They make the album not good. Usually a negative thing. There you go. Um, 
If you like this show and want to support future episodes, go to Kofi.com. Uh, rhymes with uh, coffee. Coffee.com slash Martin Popoff. Hit that red support button. Buy me a coffee or a pint. This week, I would like to thank David Block, David Fisher, Michael Gendelman, Carl Isaacson, David Moore, uh, Augustine Garcia de Predis, Steve Polari, Brian Sager, and Wendy Tipton. Thank you all very much. Go to martinpopoff.com for all your book needs. Um, of course, we've got the Contrarians video show as well. And you can see me on Sea of Tranquility every week, every Friday on, uh, for, what, what, what does Pete call that? Friday Funhouse? Friday at the Funhouse? Something like that. Uh, anyways, every Friday morning, those things usually go live at 10 or 11. Um, and yeah, lots going on at the Contrarians. We're we're doing these shorts as well. Grants Grant Arthur's got us really, um, you know, fired up about some new ideas uh, with the Contrarians. But uh, there you go. Um, you know, go play some of these albums. C- come over to the Facebook and and give me some more examples of uh, of songs that uh, just kind of wreck wreck your mood uh, on on an album. You know, albums that have one song that wrecks your mood. Talk to you later. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at R&R Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.